0: Our second scripture text is from the Gospel of Matthew. Listen for the word of the Lord. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brought them to the top of a very high mountain. He was transformed in front of them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Jesus. Peter reacted to all this by saying to Jesus, Lord, is it good that we're here? If you want, I'll make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, look, a bright cloud overshadowed them. A voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I dearly love. I am very pleased with him. Listen to him. Hearing this, the disciples fell on their faces, filled with awe. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anybody about the vision until the human ones is raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God.
1: Paul and Daniel, they can slip out, and usually we do that quietly, but I'm going to ask us to give them a round of applause today for, for being willing to do this. <laughs> Good job, guys. This was... Uh, uh, great. I was so glad that you were willing to, to help us out this morning. Let me begin this morning by asking you all what are you afraid of? Uh, I'll let you just think about that uh, throughout the sermon, and we'll come back to it later. Now, I'll tell you all I like a good storm. Uh, I like it because the power of creation is on full display. I like it because I've never been on the business end of Mother Nature's destructive power. So when the Memorial Day tornadoes rolled through Dayton four years ago, uh, I will confess you would have found me on my front porch with my phone out and my camera on, recording the lightning show in the sky, uh, watching the trees bow down, uh, looking up to the north end of Dayton. Um, So I like a good storm. The same could not be said for Danny Campbell. Uh, Danny and I were in elementary school together, and I remember uh, one fine late spring afternoon, our sixth grade PE class uh, had picked up our equipment outside from a game of kickball on the ball dime. And we were heading inside uh, when suddenly the wind uh, picked up and the atmospheric pressure changed uh, and a dark band of storm clouds was visible in the distance, clearly moving our way. The wind picked up and the trees started swaying. And most of us thought, most of us kids, huh, I wonder if I brought my raincoat or umbrella. Uh, But Danny, Danny started visibly shaking, uh, clearly frightened. Uh, He may have actually shifted into panic mode. Uh, He was physically upset and near to tears. You might be surprised by Danny's reaction until I tell you about the destructive 1979 tornado that rolled through my home area, leaving a path of destruction. You might be surprised until I tell you that that tornado rolled right over Danny's home. Then your surprise may become understanding and compassion. In many ways, I think Danny Campbell's fear is an appropriate response to the power of the storm, of of, uh, nature. And maybe the rest of us, naive, uninitiates, uh, should count ourselves lucky. In the ancient Near East, uh, the gods could be found in the awesome power uh, of mountaintop storms. Uh, The portrayal of Psalm 99 that Opal read for us this morning, this portrayal of the earth trembling before Yahweh, uh, was the norm. Uh, Peter and John, they go with Jesus atop the mountain, and the two of them are pretty blasé about what they encounter at first when visions of Moses and Elijah appear. Lord, it is good that we are here, Peter says. Shall we pitch our tents and stay a while? They're pretty blase until they realize that this is a theophany, meaning that God has come down and appeared here atop this mountain, that God was present in power and glory. And not only that, God had appeared here in the person of their friend and teacher, Jesus Christ then the disciples' response is to fall on their faces in fear. Again, I would say an appropriate response. Much as I am with storms, I feel I'm probably blase when it comes to the fear of God, too. I've never been on the business side of God's wrath. I know full well that I mess up. Time and time again, Uh, I certainly disappoint God over and over. Still, I don't tremble in my boots at the thought of God showing up. Maybe I should. I asked you to think about earlier what you are afraid of. Some of you may have thought of cancer or other illnesses. You may have thought about losing loved ones. You may have imagined financial ruin. I wonder if any of us thought about displeasing God I wonder if any of us thought of God showing up in power and might. Maybe I'm not afraid because I've grown up with reinforced messaging of God's mercy and love. If I think of mountaintop experiences, they're not frightening experiences. Uh, If I think of times when I have felt God's presence, it is more likely to have been some ecstatic worship, like uh, thousands of teenagers worshiping together together where it's easy to get carried away emotionally and feel uh, God's presence. I felt God's presence uh, when circumstances were grim and dire and some miraculous provision has been granted. And I breathe sincerely under my breath, Oh, thank God. I have a healthy respect, even a reverence for my uh, Lord, uh, my Maker. Uh, And maybe that's close enough. To the fear of God. Maybe I, uh, maybe we don't have to tremble in our boots before our Creator and before the power of the Holy Spirit to be thankful, to be focused, to praise and lift up the Lord our God with our lives and with our choices. Three disciples witness Jesus' glory on the mountaintop. Peter, James, and John are blinded by the light in this story, overwhelmed by glory, astonished by the revelation of Christ's brilliance uh, here. Uh, Peter, James, and John will be the same disciples who accompany Jesus to Gethsemane and fall asleep during the Christ's agony. The witnesses of Christ's transfiguration, even having seen his glory in fullness, will fail Christ in the garden. These same disciples will go on after Christ's resurrection to proclaim the good news and become the foundation of the church at Pentecost. There is a a strange kind of encouragement here in this story when we realize that This stupefaction in the face of glory on the part of the disciples uh, is perhaps the best that can be expected of even the best disciples. They are overwhelmed. They forget God. uh, Forget the meaning of the glory they have seen, and not even that that uh, long after it's happened. uh, Perhaps they were never even really able to grasp in the moment on that mountaintop. Uh, what was happening they forget and they flee at the first scent of danger Uh, these are the people upon whom Christ will build his church people like you and me and this is where there's that strange encouragement because if they can mess up and forget and fall asleep and God still uses them to build God's church and to bring God's message of salvation Well then, glory be, God can use you and God can use me just as well. Remember that when you feel like you aren't enough to be a follower of Christ. Uh, Before looking forward to the resurrection and to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the church at Pentecost, before we look to that glory, we have to look at the most important fact about these uh, disciples. Their most constant behavior through the Gospels, they Forget, And they keep forgetting. Uh, They are so attentive to Jesus here in his glory, uh, and yet did they ever really see or even adequately perceive what was in front of them? Uh, We also can be overwhelmed uh, by beauty, by glory in the world, and by the beauty of God. Uh, The beauty of God giving God's self for our sake. Uh, Beauty and glory, we can become... Uh, almost uh, used to it. I remember visiting the Grand Canyon, as I, as I told uh, the kids over here, and my initial reaction was wonder and amazement. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? Yeah, I, I thought probably a good, a good number of us. I remember stepping up to the South Rim. Uh, Joni and I had gone hiking. I remember stepping up, and that first spectacular vista and my breath was taken away. And then we hiked along the rim, and we, you'd walk around a bend, and there's another spectacular vista, and another one, and another one. And after a while, it almost became routine. After a while, we became used to it. We became uh, inured to it. Ho-hum. Another glorious view. Hmm, what's for lunch? The disciples saw Jesus' glory, and even so, they could not stay awake in his darkest hour. Perhaps they wanted to stay there on the mountaintop, wanted to build houses, and to to live there in glory. Uh, We don't want to come down from uh, the mountain into the ambiguity of the meantime, uh, this time between the already and the not yet of the kingdom of God, this time between when the glory of God is already seen in part and in fact but not yet in fullness and consummation. We continue to experience the grace of God flowing in surprising moments of insight and epiphany uh, granted by the Spirit of Christ. Uh, The Reverend Beth Johnson reflects upon uh, the revelations that break into the ordinariness of our lives. Uh, She invites us to think of encounters with the, the holy that you may have had. You may argue, though, that you've never had one. Uh, And that's part of the trouble of telling these kind of stories. They're all very different, right? Uh, Your experience of the holy is not the same as mine. Uh, We don't need to pound a square peg into a round hole. We need to be open to the variety of ways in which God comes to us, not trying to make one size fit all. She goes on, think of those wonderful or terrifying experiences you have had that have clarified your journey or your identity that have changed the course of your life. Uh, She reflects a colleague who had been a nurse told me of the first time she'd been present at the birth of a baby. There were three of them in the room one minute and then there were four. Uh, The experience brought tears to her eyes. It was so powerful. Those of you who have children of your own can think uh, of that moment, that first moment you held your little ones for the first time, of how awesome it was and how you marveled at the miracle of life. Think of the love and the joy and at the same time, the overwhelming sense of responsibility. Or think of the time you were present uh, at the uh, end of someone's life. Uh, If you were ever there when someone passed on, of the holiness, uh, how special uh, it felt, even though it was certainly heartbreaking and scary as well. Or think of sitting in the quiet of a church or looking at a sunset on the river and being overcome by a sense of God's presence, uh, feeling on top of the world. Think of watching and listening to a raging blizzard. Or standing on the safety of the viewing platform of Niagara Falls and watching the thundering of the waters cascade over the edge just meters from your feet. After each of these events, you had to continue your life. Although I hope you paused uh, as I invited the kids, or I hope you will in the future. We'll pause and say, wow, (laughs) as awesome as this, God is more awesome. Or whoa, as beautiful as this is, God is more beautiful. And then after those moments of the holy, after each of those events, you have to go on, right? You have to go back to your life, to the mundane, uh, changed or not. But you always have that moment, that experience uh, to fall back on. You always have it to carry in the back of your mind as you put one, front, one foot in front of the other, as you live your life as it had become. The moment on the, the mountaintop helped the disciples realize who this Jesus really was Its placement in the context of the whole journey of his ministry helps the disciples to endure what comes next. Uh, Because if this event foreshadows the crucifixion, it also hints that the power of the God who is at work in this Jesus of Nazareth is not bound by time or place or by death itself. The power of this God of life uh, will not let death have the final word, uh, for this is the God of life and hope. Uh, And this God will always have the last say. Like the disciples, we too may have much to learn, but like the disciples, we are not left alone on our journey. We are promised the abiding presence of the Spirit, Uh, the examples of those who have gone before us, the words of the Scriptures and the knowledge that we follow the one who is God's chosen. So I want to believe in a Lord and Savior who is transfigured, who takes on our own form, but witnesses too to the power of God to change this form from one of brokenness to one of glory. I've never seen a transfiguration, uh, but isn't God coming nonetheless? God's glory breaking into our world, into our life. Aren't there transfigurations of one sort or another in all our lives? Uh, I want to tell you, I want to finish with the story of Arlen. Uh, Arlen came home tired and emotionally drained once again. Uh, Arlen existed in the pain and suffering of uh, the meantime. His days were filled with darkness and sadness, but what he remembered each night when he came home were the points of light, uh, grace shining like the face of God amid routines of illness and death. Arlen uh, was sitting down to his container of reheated Chinese takeout, when the angel of the Lord appeared. The year was 1989. For those of you too young to remember, this was before internet and email. (laughs) For those who do recall, it is the year that saw the beginning of the end of apartheid in South Africa. The year that the Exxon Valdez spilled 11 million gallons of oil in the ocean off Alaska, and the year that baseball's World Series between the Oakland A's and the San San Francisco Giants was interrupted by a massive earthquake in California. Uh, More to the point, for Arlen, it is the decade that the world uh, came to know HIV-AIDS, and those who remember the 80s uh, will also remember the stigma and ignorance that surrounded the illness at the time. Arlen had been to the hospital again that day, had been to visit guys living with and dying from HIV AIDS. Uh, Arlen, like many Christians of the time, hadn't been sure what to think about AIDS, that is, until his brother Greg contracted the disease. Then his love for Greg overrode any squeamishness or qualms that he might have had. And it became less a matter of knowing what to think and more a matter of love. And Arlen became a fixture at the HIV clinic on the 13th floor of the General Hospital downtown. He got to know other guys like his brother Greg, guys who were dying from HIV AIDS. He had watched them walk painful journeys of shock and anger, grief and resignation. His heart broke with every setback and he rejoiced with every smile. Every gesture of care and support, every small victory, brief moments of joy in larger losing battles. Uh, Seeing the pain and loneliness, the need of this community that uh, he had been initiated into, Arlen uh, wanted a church, any church, to reach out to these men to care for them and to care about them, uh, offering them and showing them Christ's love. But it soon became clear in the early 80s that it wasn't about to happen anytime soon. Uh, And so Arlen himself um, stepped in. Part of uh, spontaneous, surprising, uh, grassroots networks of care and support that sprang up among the communities of men most directly affected by the disease. And they built hospice homes and established support groups and became the face of God to one another. Uh, And Arlen stepped in and became a part uh, of that. Uh, The houses that were built of love and care, the communities uh, of care. And was part of one of these informal and unstructured networks of caring friends that Arlen uh, walked with these men, almost like a a chaplain. He provided information and counseling, care and support every day uh, to those who had been cast out of church homes and sometimes families. The weight of what he was doing struck Arlen over his chow mein noodles. And a dazzling white light suddenly appeared in his room. And Arlen wondered, what in the world is going on now? I'm so tired, I'm hallucinating, he thought. But the light didn't go away. Oh, don't worry, a voice told him. You're not going crazy. Your care and compassion has not gone unnoticed. This is a taste of the glory to come. This is my son. You are my son the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Well, this is something, thought Arlen. I should find some way to stay here in this moment, this vision, I should write this down. But of course, he didn't. And that wasn't the point, anyway. With you, I am well pleased, the voice said. You will show the glory of God to those whom the church has turned its back on, You have already seen the care and love, the compassion and ministering one to another that occurs amongst them. This has been your sign that these men are worthy of God's love and compassion, that they are worthy of God's glory. How can this be, Arlen wondered. Well, the glory of the Lord shines around you, said the angel. That is where your care and concern come from. That is why you do what you do. Putting in long, thankless hours and days. Caring for men who are angry and lonely. The power of the Most High has fallen like a shadow over you. The glory of God envelops you and the face of God will shine around you like a brilliant, radiant circle of light. And you will witness to God's love for the world. And as the vision recedes, Arlen hears the voice as it fades too. Hears the voice say, get up and do not be afraid." Well, now, as modern day transfigurations go, that isn't quite what you'd expect, is it? But then, what is there in our scripture that anyone would have expected? These are not scriptures about how God comes and shines in the world as we would expect. These are scriptures about God's radical freedom, about how God can and does shine in the world in surprising and unexpected ways. Not because we believe, but despite our unbelief. God came, God comes, God is coming. May we be prepared for God's coming this Lent and every day. Uh, Praise the Lord. Happy are those who delight in God's word. Amen.